Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. We've all heard the word gentrification before, and we all think we know what the definition is. The process of renovating and improving a house or district so that it conforms to middle-class taste, often in a way that drives poorer residents out. But have we thought about how we might be individual contributors to gentrification? or how we might be resistors to this kind of community change. Gentrification is more complex than real estate development or new bars or restaurants. It's also about culture and community. And we don't often think about the ways that individuals and businesses influence that culture and community as it changes, and whether that change is positive or negative or both. That's where we want to begin the conversation today. What is gentrification and what role do we as individuals here in the city of Detroit play in gentrification or in pushing back against the changes that might be called gentrification? We have three guests that we're going to welcome to the conversation today who will talk about this from a number of different perspectives, but especially today, we would love to hear from you, the listeners, about what you're thinking about this term. What is your understanding of the definition of this word, gentrification? Do you think it's going on here in the city of Detroit? And if you do, what are your examples of that? Also, do you ever feel like you're actively feeding into gentrification as it happens? Not purposely, not intentionally, but do you think by Uh, Moving back to the city, for instance, from the suburbs or moving here from another city and moving into a neighborhood that may have struggled over the last uh, five or 10 or 15 or 20 years. Are you part of the problem of gentrification? Are you somebody who's pushing that community or cultural change even inadvertently? And if you are, how do you know that that's happening? And if you don't want to do that, how do you avoid that kind of dynamic? What are the things that you do to make yourself a genuine sort of citizen here in the city of Detroit who's not changing things uh, in a way that would affect the most vulnerable people around us? As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work you into the conversation. And we want to begin the conversation today with somebody who's given a lot of thought to this term and to the things that are going on right here in the city of Detroit. Alan Malik is a senior fellow at the Center for Community Progress in Washington, D.C. He's also author of a book called The Divided City, Poverty and Prosperity in Urban America. Alan Malik, welcome back to Detroit Today. Well, Thanks, Stephen. Glad to be here. Yes. Uh, So let's start with your definition of what we're talking about. What is gentrification in your words? And give us some tangible examples of it. Okay. That's complicated, as you said. Yes, it is. (laughs) At At one level, gentrification is very simple. It is more affluent people moving into a less affluent neighborhood, a poor neighborhood, fixing up houses, increasing house prices, and potentially pushing lower-income people out of the neighborhood. I mean, that's the sort of simple, basic definition. But it goes well beyond that. I think 
in two important other ways. First, gentrification does have this cultural dimension mm-hmm. that when people who are of a perhaps a different economic level, different race, different ethnicity, move into a neighborhood that has been part of one group's turf, if you will, for a long time, they're changing the dynamics of that neighborhood. And people feel that their culture, their practices, their traditions, their values are being disrupted. And that's one thing. The other thing is that gentrification is not just about property and property values and house prices. It's about power. And I think in a city like Detroit, especially, where a lot of people feel that they're somehow excluded from having an influence over what's happening to the city, it comes out often as a measure of gentrification. Mm -hmm. Gentrification is used to express people's feelings that they're powerless to affect changes in their neighborhood, changes on their block, changes in their community. So it has a lot of different layers to it, but it starts with the idea of neighborhood change, more affluent people moving in. Yeah. In your book, you take, uh, of course, a, a deep look at Detroit uh, in particular. Tell us how you think we fit into that larger narrative that's unfolding nationally about the way cities are changing. What what are the particular dynamics of what we'd call gentrification that, that you can see here? Yeah. Well, the fact is Detroit is seeing relatively little, I won't say none, but relatively little gentrification in the narrow sense compared to, say, a place like Washington, D.C. or Seattle, where you're seeing a lot of change, a lot of in-migration of affluent people. There's not that much of that in Detroit. In fact, if you look at the larger picture, Detroit has seen and is still seeing more middle and upper income people moving out than in. Hmm. And so there are large parts of Detroit that are still losing ground. Some have stabilized in the last couple of years, but they're still losing ground with affluent people moving to the suburbs compared to relatively few places where you see affluent people actually moving in. So Detroit is kind of very different from the coastal cities, again, where you're seeing a lot more gentrification and people moving in than moving out. Yeah. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Call and tell us what you think is going on in the city of Detroit with cultural and community change. Is it gentrification? And tell us in particular whether you feel as though you might be somebody who's contributing to those changes and to that term being true here, gentrification. Are you, by moving into the city, uh, somebody who is facilitating these changes that may have negative effects on the poor population of the city? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. I want to to take a call uh, up front here, Alan, and then come back to you to respond to it, because I think it's uh, it's right on the sort of tip of what we're talking about here. Uh, Naeem on the east side. Naeem, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stephen. Uh Um, I simply wanted to call in. I definitely feel like I participate in gentrification, although not 
intentionally or directly, as you guys mentioned. I moved to Detroit uh, about six years ago after finishing graduate school at the University of Michigan. And um, I just feel that by people with higher degrees moving back into the city, that kind of increases the whole appeal of moving into a place that's changing. And when you give value, specifically with financial value, to a type of person based on their experience or educational background, hmm. uh, wherever they live, that kind of kind of naturally increases, especially when they get jobs that other Detroiters aren't necessarily trained or um, as qualified to have based on the standards that we demand. Um, and one of the ways I've tried to address that gentrification is I've become pretty involved, uh, particularly in the urban agriculture and food system sector, as well as just being politically engaged um, around writing city council members and uh, pressuring the city government and the mayor's office to create more affordable housing, uh, and also participating in a model of creating ways to share resources more. Um, not everyone can just find a job or get the training to get a job that will allow them to stay in their homes. So just figuring out ways to allow people to fix their homes, maintain their homes, and even share their homes with other people um, who don't have those same resources. Mm. Uh, thank you guys for hearing my comments. Yeah, and Na- Naeem, before you, before you go, yeah. I, I want to ask you, uh, the things that you talked about, I think, are are uh, the kind of things that push back against that change, that cu- that cultural uh, or community change that can be negative. So, so why do you call yourself a gentrifier? Just by people moving into Detroit, yeah. um, you know, we're changing the demographics of the city. Mm-hmm. And although my, my intent of moving here was actually to participate and be more engaged with, uh, I'm an African-American male, so mm-hmm. people who look like me um, and be able to share my gifts with my community. But simply by coming here, I'm kind of moving uh, the narrative and the, I guess, the perception. Yeah of Detroit to what was once devalued and people would say, oh, I would never want to live there. So, oh, wow, there's a lot of educated people, young people, uh, you know, hippies, yuppies, you know, (laughs) people who are envisioning kind of a new world. And that in and of itself attracts more wealth and more investment. Uh, You know, when a lot of people join block clubs or um, just by becoming more engaged and applying for grants, applying for grants and, and by improving our neighborhoods, we're, (laughs) <laughs> we're unintentionally um, <laughs> perpetuating the yeah. same value adding that I, often leads to raising property values and, and yeah. taxes and all that. Yeah, Naeem, I, I, I'm really glad you called. And I think uh, your your perspective on this is really interesting. And it, it really captures the sort of two sides of, of the coin that we're talking about here. One, uh, which is about real estate and, and, and home prices and things like that, which uh, you don't really have a way to, to stop if you're somebody who has uh, means to move back to a community and, and be able to buy a nice house. But you're also talking about the, the individual action that you can sort of participate in that that makes uh, that different than just coming in and, and living somewhere. Uh, Alan Malik, I would love for you to react to, to okay. Naeem's story. Yeah. What Naeem was just saying illustrates the complexity of this. First, yes, Naeem is a gentrifier. He's somebody, he's moving into a neighborhood, and he's changing the dynamics of that neighborhood. At the same time, we've got to think of gentrification is not a question of good versus evil. It's a question, in many respects, of competing goods. It's important for people to be able to live in stable communities, but it's 
important for Detroit to be able to get people like Naeem to move in, to get the middle class back, to get <clears throat> that energy and those resources that they represent. I mean, Detroit is one of the poorest cities in the United States. Mm-hmm. And being a city made up disproportionately of poor people is ultimately not sustainable. So Detroit needs the Naims. So the question is, how do you take that benefit and either at a minimum minimize the harm for the people who are in these neighborhoods affected by it, or even better, benefit them? And it's difficult, and I think Naeem is really doing his damnedest to try to bridge that gap. And I think an important part is that people who move into a neighborhood should, number one, respect the neighborhood. You're not moving into a blank slate. You're not pioneers going off into the wilderness. You're moving into a neighborhood that has traditions, networks, relationships, institutions, and you should both respect them and engage with them. And I think that's a critical part of it. I think the second piece, and this is where I think government plays an important role, is to make sure to the, as much as possible that people are not displaced if gentrification is happening in a neighborhood. And that means you should have protection for renters. You should make sure that the homeowners in those neighborhoods benefit from whatever Michigan law allows in the way of tax freezes and property tax adjustments for people of lower income and so forth. And there are a lot of ways to do that. And essentially try to become a buffer so that the city can benefit from the energy of people like Naeem, but also that the people in these neighborhoods can also benefit. I don't think it's got to be an either-or, but it takes a lot of work to keep it from being an either-or. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, Naeem, thanks very much for the call and uh, sharing your experience. Uh, for a different perspective here, let's go to Don, Don in Detroit. Welcome to the show, Don. Hey, well, thank you for taking my call. Mm-hmm. But, uh, man, I don't even know how to respond this uh, philosophy here because um, when we hear the word genocide, that, that's, that's gentrification right there. And I've never seen, I mean, these people, pioneers, they move into a neighborhood that's decimated. I mean, here it is where if you don't own nothing in the neighborhood, you don't own the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. First, you know, the gentrification process has been going on for the last 40 years when people was buying all these houses and, and big commercial buildings from downtown back to the neighborhood and just holding on to them. That's people who has money to play with, and it's not hurting them. You know what I mean? But then when they decide, to, yeah, okay, let's go in and refurbish this house, and, and here it is, you, you pay $500 for this house, and after you refurbish it, the house is $95,000. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, it still sits in a dilapidated block, a dilapidated neighborhood where the people... Um, they can't afford to. They can't um, afford that house, right? Yeah, they can't afford the house, and they they really can't afford to uh, come to the meetings or, and and, uh, and um, to get up on the grants and stuff. And as a matter of fact, Detroit has been one of the main cities that's been taking 
home ownership grants away, and they've been raising water rates. And, and if you don't pay your water rate, it goes on your tax bill. It leads to foreclosure. You know, 20 years ago, before Dennis Archer got in office, of course, Detroit was the, the beacon of black home ownership and poor people coming up here and having things and, and owning it and loving it and, and nurturing it. But all of a sudden, we woke up one morning and we was in, in the red. So, 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 Don, I, I, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Um, so I, I remember also uh, the late 1980s, early 1990s in Detroit. And it seems to me one of the things I remember is that those of us who were living here and those of us who were African-American who were living here were angry with uh, white people who were, quote, unquote, abandoning the city to move to the suburbs, right? Uh, th- that was the thing that, that we were upset about. Um, now what's happening is that uh, some of those same white people and some, in other cases, different uh, white people who were not around back then are moving back into the city and we're mad that they're doing that. Uh, can you talk about what it is that that um, uh, is is the sort of dynamic about both of those things that gets us uh, that gets us angry. And I think we just actually lost Don on the line, so he's not going to be able to answer that. But Don, give us a call back three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. I would love to get a little deeper into that uh, that dynamic with you, uh, Alan Malik. Though I'll give you a chance to respond to what he's saying. I mean, he's pointing out the kinds of dynamics that we're seeing. Uh, in in neighborhoods, in some neighborhoods in the city, and the 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 fear that uh, it's changing things in a way that's leaving people behind. And uh, of course, uh, I'm glad that Don raised the race issue. I mean, that th- this is uh, in many ways uh, about race. It, it is totally about race. Well, maybe totally is too strong, but it is very heavily about race. But there's another piece to the picture, which I think is important, is that, you know, it's interesting. When whites fled Detroit, and I think it even started earlier than that. I think it really started in the late 60s. In the 50s and, in and the, the 60s, 70s. sure, yeah, that's right. Maybe even earlier. When white, that created an amazing opportunity for black families, and they actually took full advantage of it to be able to, you know, if you remember, if you go back to the 50s, 60s, black families couldn't live in most of Detroit. In a lot of places, that's right. Yeah. And that changed, and so you saw all kinds of, you know, middle-class neighborhoods changing race, but staying middle-class neighborhoods. And I'm talking about, you know, most of Northwest and Northeastern Detroit. Mm -hmm. And that was really what kept Detroit going for a long time. But what's happened in the last roughly 20 20 years is that a huge part of Detroit's black middle class has left the city. In fact, I would say probably over half of the middle class families that were in Detroit 20 years ago have left the city. And in the last 10 years, more black home buyers have been buying houses in Southfield than have been buying houses in Detroit. Mm -hmm. So that's another important part of the picture, that there's been this enormous exodus in recent years 
that has really destabilized a lot of neighborhoods at the same time as you have a much smaller number of white families or white individuals coming and moving into places like Corktown or Midtown. Okay, Alan Malik, Senior Fellow at the Center for Community Progress in Washington and author of The Divided City, Poverty and Prosperity in Urban America. It's always great to talk with you here on Detroit Today. Thanks for being with us. Up next, we're going to talk with a Detroiter who is working to bring together residents and business owners in Corktown and Southwest Detroit for conversations about the changes we've seen in those communities. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. Lots of folks want to participate in this conversation. Matt in Bloomfield Hills, Ali in Detroit, Daniel in Detroit, and John in Windsor. We will get to you next as well. Stay with us on Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. We're talking this hour. Uh, we're talking this hour about gentrification, uh, a word that we hear a lot right now in Detroit, and it's a word that uh, I think we all feel like we know the definition of. But we want to talk about it in a slightly different way this hour. We want to talk about gentrification as an individual dynamic. Are there things that you, as a Detroiter, as a Detroiter who has been here for a long time, or a Detroiter who's just joining this community, are there things that you do that contribute to the dynamic of gentrification? And what do you do to avoid uh, being part of those changes? Or what do you do to make sure that your participation in those changes is something that actually works to the advantage of people who've been here for a long time and people who don't have means to either go someplace else or necessarily to participate in all of the changes that are happening in your community. As always, we want to hear from you. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. We've already got lots of folks queued up on the phone lines to, uh, to participate in this, uh, in this conversation. I want to welcome another voice, though to the conversation. Maria Anita Salinas is the executive director of Congress of Communities. She's been convening conversations between Corktown residents and residents in Southwest Detroit, also between business owners and other stakeholders. Uh, She's been doing that for a long time now. She also worked with Data Driven Detroit on their Turning the Corner project, which tracked neighborhood change and worked to understand how people feel about it. Uh, Maria, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Yeah. So I want to get your reaction to that word, gentrification, uh, that, that we're starting to hear more and more as Detroit changes more and faster. Uh, what do you think gentrification is? Do you think that's something that's happening here in Detroit? And how is it affecting the communities that you're working with? Yeah, just uh, it's absolutely happening. Um, you know, I think for me, I've been addressing this about seven years. And what I'm finding last couple of years, um, the word is very offensive to a lot of people. And they've kind of been, I've been kind of approached and not using it a lot. 
But the fact is, you know, if you understand what it is, it's one class pushing out another class. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, absolutely racism is alive in the city of Detroit. But when we talk about gentrification, you have to talk about it in an aspect taking the race out of it. Uh, because we really do have upper class people that are uh, African American and, and Latino that are pushing out uh, African and, Latin, and Latino in, in the city of Detroit. And so, you know, and then we have a whole uh, white population that lives in the city of Detroit that nobody's talking about in poverty. And so I think it's confusing uh, and it, uh, the word seems to be offensive to a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you work with Corktown and Southwest Detroit uh, and people in those communities. Talk about some of the issues that come up in these conversations between those two communities. Yeah, it's interesting because, uh, well, first of all, uh, Corktown is Southwest Detroit. Right. It's part uh, you of know, Southwest. And I think it's, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, it goes way back where uh, uh, Corktown didn't want to be associated with Mexi- Mexican town back in the 70s mm-hmm. and 80s. And it got separated even back then. Um, but I, we host uh, uh, conversations called Let's Talk. We started about six years ago uh, because there was a lot of backdoor conversations on, you know, white people are coming, they're taking over, you know, we're seeing, we're being pushed out. It was happening, but the white people have always been there, you know. And, um, and so there had to be a lot of uh, awareness and a lot of sit-downs where People could just have a, a space to diffuse their anger, and and that's what we do. We do it through a process, uh, you know, where we actually create safe spaces, and um, we listen. We listen to residents that need to be listened to because they have a lot to say when they are really kind of not seeing themselves mm-hmm. in this new Detroit. Yeah. Uh, do you find in these conversations uh, the ability? to get people to see the individual role that they play in these things. And as we've been saying on the, on the program today, when we say that word gentrification, I think a lot of us think of uh, uh, large kinds of uh, forces happening. Thing, you know, Lots of people moving to a place or lots of developers building things. And we don't think about what individual decisions might contribute to or push back against those things. Do you get to that level in these uh, in these conversations? Absolutely. Uh, we're working right now, it's called res- resident retention. You know, it's very simple. How do we retain our residents that currently are in Detroit, you know, and went through the downfall of our political, economical, and educational uh, downfall of Detroit? How do we retain them? And it's it's that simple. You know, we need taxpayers. We need taxpayers. We need new Detroiters. There's plenty of space um, also, New Detroiters also needs spaces to to figure out how they can come into our communities. You know, uh, I, I tell my Detroiters, you know, we also have a responsibility to kind of create those spaces of welcoming and, you know, and, and but what's happening, if you're not engaged or involved, you're not attached to a school, a nonprofit or a church, and there's a lot, there's a big population in Detroit that are not then we have to knock them doors and we have to get behind them doors and get get some of those. Maybe we do a lot of tabletop conversations. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot more and um, because of the uh, development that's happening in Corktown. What's interesting is that uh, our Corktown residents are just that are mainly Caucasian, a little high, a little higher educated uh, generationally. 
And they're just as scared as our people of color that have been uh, pushed out because they are seeing themselves being pushed out. Right. right. It's happening. It's, it's happening, happening in ways that uh, not everybody is always uh, uh, always aware of. Yeah. Um, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Ali in Detroit. Uh, Ali, welcome to the program. Actually, my computer is frozen here, guys. Uh, in the, if, if we can get yeah. some help from the... There we go. You guys hear me? Go ahead, Ali. Yeah, the main thing I want to shine a light Hello? Are you there? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I own a house on Kirby Street okay. behind the DIA. Uh-huh. And my immediate neighbor uh, to the left, his family has owned the house on Kirby Street for 50, 60 years. Wow. He inherited it from his grandmother, I believe. On the right side of me, um, they have owned their house for uh, 20 or 30 years. Longtime Detroit residents, uh, African-American residents. I bought the house. It was the last abandoned house in the neighborhood. Um, they loved it when I bought the house because um, people had been squatting in there and running in and out of there, and there were, you know, illegal things going on. And mm. I kind of cleaned up the last house on the neighborhood. But my point is, what percentage of the property in Detroit in these areas that are getting built up, what percentage is, is owned by longtime residents? Is it 20? Is it 30? Is it 40%? Because those people are climbing the economic ladder with gentrification. Now, and I agree that some people are getting pushed out, but there's also an upside to gentrification, and I'm seeing it hmm. in Midtown around me. There's other people on my block, too, that have been there for 20, 30, 40 years, and, uh, and they, their property values have gone through the roof. Right. And I'm sure that they are doing pretty well for themselves right now. <laughs> They're able to refinance their homes. They're able to pay off some student loans, so forth and so on. And I was wondering if anybody uh, associated with the program today knows what that percentage is of people that own their property right. and that are seeing these value increases. Uh, Daniel, that's a great question. And uh, we'll, we'll give uh, Maria Salinas a chance to, to answer it in a, in a, in a second. But, but I, first, I want to ask you a couple questions about your neighborhood. Uh, it's great that, that people who've been here a long time and saw their property values you know, plummet are now seeing them come back. I, I also wonder, though, about the cultural changes that we're talking about. Is that neighborhood changing in a way that makes those longtime residents perhaps feel less welcome uh, in the neighborhood than they did before? Are there things about uh, the people who are moving in? Uh, is there a power dynamic that makes those people feel less uh, welcome. I mean, I think uh, uh, you know, gentrification is about real estate and it's about money uh, and development, but it's also about culture and community and the way that those things change. I wonder if you can give us just a little sense of what that looks like in your neighborhood. You know, I think that you you're you, you're touching on a point there that uh, is valid um, that the culture of the city is changing. And the dynamic of the neighborhood is changing. Um, and I don't think there's anything that you can really do about that. But I, I don't think that those people don't feel welcome. I think that 
the people that are moving in are probably more gracious because they are coming in to somebody else's neighborhood. And I know for me, when I came in there, I wanted to meet everybody around me. I wanted to exchange numbers. I wanted to let them know that, you know, I do carpentry and that if you guys need anything, I've got a full set of tools over here. Come borrow my tools. Come, you know, let me know if you need any work done kind of thing. And I think that you're going to find that from most of the people that are moving in are probably kind of walking on eggshells, if you will, in the neighborhood and trying to. Um, you know, I've heard multiple stories about people buying properties and there being people living in them and them finding uh, other rental units and helping them hmm. get out of the house, not just throwing them out, right, right, but the- actually helping them find uh, other places to live because they're that welcoming and they're that they're they're walking on those eggshells and trying to accommodate those people that have been there for years. Yeah, Daniel, I really appreciate uh, you calling in and and sharing that experience with us, uh, Maria Salinas. I'll give you a chance to re- react to what he's what he's talking about there. Yeah, no, thank you, thank you for being a good um, new Detroiter. Uh, you know, there is a lot of good new Detroiters that are are trying to uh, do their best to acclimate themselves into the community. Unfortunately. Uh, it doesn't work that way uh, in, in, in a lot of parts of our city, uh, the east side and west side. Uh, right now, southwest Detroit is a multicultural, multilingual community. It's been for 100 years. There's so many different cultures and races and languages, and it, and it is shifting. Uh, in, in what, we're, what I hear from the conversations is, um, you know, there's people that have been there. They get their grandparents' house. They get inherited it. You know, they they're, they're, they lost their job. You know, they're they're working minimum wage and they're maintaining the houses. But the value of the of the everything that's going up around them, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's an issue. It's an issue. Uh, and and so, you know, even though they we are appreciative, we know we need taxpayers money. We know we, we have to fill those houses that are abandoned uh, with good people. And there is good people coming in. But the people that are there currently really feel, um, you know, like like they don't see themselves in this development. And gentrification doesn't have to be bad. I tell my residents, if we can retain them to keep their houses. But their houses are old. They need windows. They need roofs. You know, we need more city support. We need more resources to give the residents that, that, that stayed, you know, the ones that stayed through, the, through this downfall. You know, it, I really try to tell people, you know, it, it, we, we need to figure out how to have more connectivity, more mm-hmm. conversations where we can come together and figure this out. But we also need to ch- challenge the city and say, you know, we need to honor the people that are there and, and that they can be part of this and, and actually develop and make, make money off of this development and but unfortunately, a lot of our Detroiters are not at that point, so they're scared. They're scared because they don't, they cannot go to their local store like they used to, and and find the sales that they used to. Now they have, you know, art studios and and bars that they don't see, you know, uh, um, bar and grills that they don't see their local neighbors there, or they don't go there either because when they walk in, everybody turns around. You know, they definitely stick out. And I say more of my people of color. 
Uh, and, and I hear this. I hear this. So how do we how do we come together? How do we come together? Yeah. Uh, thanks again for the call uh, and the comments, Daniel. Uh, let's go to Sanaa on the east side. Welcome to Detroit Today. You there, Sanaa? Yes, I'm here. I'm yeah, here. Go ahead. Thank you for taking the call. Uh-huh. I am calling because I, I'm seeing so many signs of gentrification here in the neighborhood. For an example, there was a house that was sold on my block. It was bought by a man, a white man from California. He had it for a while. And then, without any notice of the, of the house being sold, no, no sign was out front, there was another white man who was living in the house. So it seems like some of the houses are being transferred, but, but it's not above board about the house being for sale. And then the other challenge that we're having here is being able to maintain our public spaces as public spaces. Hmm. There are people who are coming who who have these great ideas and they, they want to take over part of the park and maybe put in a vineyard or something like that. And and then there are people who, who are new to the neighborhood who are actually supporting that effort. And while the city, um, the planning department has been working to communicate with the residents, what the residents are saying that we need, which is grants for home repairs, a recreation center, hmm. the city is not focused on. The city already came focused with a particular idea of what what um, neighborhood stabilization looked like, hmm. and it didn't include either of those two things. Yeah. Uh, so it's really very frustrating. So can you describe uh, the the interactions? perhaps between some of the new residents and the old residents? I mean, at the individual level, um, does that look different in any way? Is there is there a, uh, sort of a more welcoming inter- exchange uh, between the two, or is that is that also pretty tense? Yes, yes. The people themselves, people who have moved in themselves, are, are nice. Um, we are starting a black club, and we are inviting you know all the people on the block to come, even though it was really it was really startling to wake up one spring and see people walk driving walking and jogging by with their strollers and i and it was something that I wasn't used to seeing so so the individuals yes are it's not the individuals that are coming in necessarily with um the mindset of taking over, and they do have a particular idea of how they would like to contribute to the neighborhood, and that may or may not be consistent with how the long term residents want to see the, the neighborhood move. Sure, sure. So now I'm, I'm really glad you called. Uh, Maria Salinas, it seems like right there we've got this sort of microcosm of the tensions that, that uh, unfold, but also maybe, uh, uh, you know, uh, potential solutions, right? Mm-hmm. This idea that dealing with people on a one-to-one level uh, does get you to a different kind of discussion, but but as Sanad even said, you know, um, even that reveals that there are maybe different objectives for uh, longtime residents and new residents in some of these places, and you've got to have some way, I guess, to reconcile all of that. Yeah, so um, I've been uh, fortunate to get a small grant from LISC, which is the Local Initiative Support Corporation, that is allowing me to host these conversations. And in Corktown and Mexican Town, what we've been doing is working with building the neighborhood associations. And so we've helped North Corktown. We're currently with Corktown. We've helped Hubbard Richard um, to to build their associations so that neighbors can come together and be strong and build their own community plan. In North Corktown, which is really unique, 
uh, it, it's, it's really focused on urbanism. Uh, and, and so there is a whole population of new Detroiters that, really not new Detroiters, they've been about 20 years, that are looking at farming, uh, agriculture. They're doing a lot of really unique, different pocket parks. And, but yet there was another uh, side of the community that was very disengaged. And um, through the last year and a half, two years, through the Neighborhood Association buildup and doing their own community plan, uh, a lot of the African-American disengaged residents started coming to the meetings because we had tabletop conversations, we knocked on their doors, we invited them to the meetings, and now they're coming in, they're like, you know, we see all these farms, like this isn't us. <laughs> and But, you know, they were able to come together and come to consensus on what do we, what do you want, you know, and not just allow, you know, one side of the opinion that's a little more affluent, uh, and has a little bit more resources with the city to kind of take over. So neighborhood associations, in, in my opinion, are really, uh, they need to get strong so that they can be ready to go up against the big developers. Yeah. Okay, Maria Salinas, Executive Director of Congress of Communities. It was really great to have you with us here on Detroit Today. Thank you. Thanks for coming by. Up next, we're going to be joined by the owner of a popular bakery in West Village to continue the conversation about community change and the role that individuals and businesses play in it. Stay with us and stay with us on the phone. Sean on the east side, John on the east side, Joanne in Detroit, John in Windsor, and Daisy on the east side. Lots of east siders today. Stay with us. We'll get to you next. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. We're talking this hour about the role that we as individuals or individual businesses play in the way that communities and culture are changing in Detroit. We're talking about the word gentrification, what it means, what it means here in Detroit, and what role we all play in it. As always, we want to hear from you about how you're seeing this unfold here in the city and in your neighborhood. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, and I want to welcome another voice to this conversation now. Lisa Ludwinski is the owner of Sister Pie in West Village. Uh, and she's a Detroit author of Sister Pie, Recipes and Stories from the Detroit Bakery. She's also a James Beard nominee for Outstanding Baker. Lisa Lewinsky, welcome to Detroit Today. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So uh, you opened uh, Sister Pie in West Village, uh, a neighborhood with a very rich history uh, for a very long time here in Detroit. Tell me what that was like uh, and tell me how you felt you needed to be Conscience, conscious of your influence on that community and its history. I took the whole process of kind of figuring out what neighborhood we were going to move into very slowly. And we started working in the West Village when there was a little market there called Parker Street Market, and we were selling our pies and cookies. And for me, it was this really great opportunity to do some true market research. You know, we had people in the neighborhood coming in and also people traveling from outside of the neighborhood to try Sister Pie. 
And it was this cool opportunity for me to sit in the market and talk with people and sort of ask them, you know, would you want us to open a bakery here? What do you think about that? And so that very first step was really instrumental in us feeling like we were welcomed in the neighborhood and also kind of helped us understand what we needed to do to make sure that we were welcoming once we moved in. Yeah. And tell us how that has gone. I mean, you moved there and at the same time, there were a lot of other changes unfolding in that part of the city. Uh, how, how, how is that working now with the interaction between people who've been there for a long time and, and the new folks? It's been an interesting journey for sure. And I think we have, as a business, have really made it a point to try and constantly ask ourselves if we're thinking about it enough, talking about it enough. And one thing that we've done over the years is is just try to open up the conversation with our neighbors. Not only our neighbors who have lived in the area for a long time, but the ones who have been moving in, but also, super importantly, the other businesses who are either businesses that have been there for a really long time or businesses that are moving in around the same time that we are. And one thing that that really led me to do was just start attending a lot of community meetings. There's a lot of, you know, there's the West Village, but there's Indian Village, North Village, Island View, Pingree Park. They all kind of exist in this East Side Villages network. Mm -hmm. And so starting to kind of understand what was going on at those meetings and the conversations and, and sort of difficulties they were facing started to help me understand what Sister Pie could offer. Yeah. Uh, so when we use that word gentrification, um, you know, I wonder how much you grapple with the, the question of whether uh, whether you might not have opened this business in this neighborhood. In other words, uh, might you have said, you know what, that's not my neighborhood. I don't know the, the, the history there. I don't know the people there. I'm going to go somewhere else. Uh, what effect does that kind of thought have on you even even now? I think I think I, I think about it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and I think when I first moved in the neighborhood, those first couple of years was spent really kind of wondering, you know, did I do the right thing? Am I supposed to be here? Um, and I think I've just really tried to understand over time. I did make this choice. When I made this choice five years ago, did I fully know what I was getting myself into? Probably not. But but opening and, and owning the business in that neighborhood has allowed me to understand what I need to do um, as a business owner, specifically as a white business owner, as someone who didn't grow up in the city of Detroit. What what is my responsibility now? So I think you know, as someone who owns a business and an entrepreneur, I'm always looking for solutions. <laughs> and so I take and I feel and I sit in a lot of those negative feelings all the time. But then what I always do is think, okay, now what? Now what? And so something that I'm really proud of and, and sort of excited and energized by is that we are, we are completely outgrowing our space. And so we had the opportunity to look at an 8,000 square foot space that's up on Mac Avenue, so just less than a mile away. And before we even decided officially that we were going to expand into that, we started hosting these community meetings. And so we tried all different ways, like flyers and emails and phone calls and talked to all these different folks around the area and said, hey, come to this meeting. We want to tell you about this space. But most significantly, we want to hear about what you want in the space. 
And so that first meeting was just listening to folks and telling us that they needed basic grocery access and they wanted a place for breakfast and lunch food and they wanted to be able to take our pie classes, something that has been probably one of our most inaccessible um, items at Sister Pie is, mm. is the ability to get into a pie class. And so then we took that and created a vision that we then presented to the neighborhood and have continued to sort of have these meetings. And it's really humbling for us to be able to know and understand, you know, we're not the number one opinion on pie, even, <laughs> you know, like right. we don't know the best pie. I mean, I, I think we know pretty good pie, but everyone has an opinion on pie. It's like one of the most traditional, like, um, home-centric foods you can eat. And so the more that we can hear from our neighbors about what they want in pie, the more successful we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's try to get to at least one more call here. Uh, let's go to John in Windsor. John, welcome to Detroit Today. I've got only about hey. two minutes left, but I want to get you in here. Go Good ahead. Good morning. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting. Back in uh, 2010, I'm in the music business. We had uh, a group in from the East Coast, a big group, and we were talking about the prices of houses in Detroit. And the drummer of this group said, what, you can buy a house for 8000 bucks?" I went, yeah. He went out and bought two of them. Hmm. His, he told me that, that uh, his wife asked him why. And he said, because I bought a house for $8,000, period. And the guy lives in New Jersey. Wow. I just found it to be an amazingly interesting idea of, people acquiring real estate. You know, there's an old saying, when blood runs in the street, buy real estate. Buy property. Yeah. Uh, but John, I mean, I, you know, I, I hear that a lot and I know a lot of folks who've taken advantage of those things. I think uh, the, the danger there, of course, is that you're buying into a community without really buying into the community. And, uh, you know, I really wonder what that person you know is doing in the communities where uh, where he or she owns those houses, uh, Liz. That's or at least that's one of those. That's one of the tough kind of questions here. Absolutely, um, and I see all sorts of responses in our neighborhood alone, and I think that's why you know we just try to keep having that conversation and open it up as a as a. Again, I use the word welcoming, but an accessible conversation for everyone to have together, but one where people can really feel comfortable, you know, sitting with and thinking about truths that they may not have considered before, but can help them as a resident of the neighborhood. Yeah. Okay. Lisa Lewinsky, owner of Sister Pie in West Village. Uh, It was really great to have you here with us. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming by. All right, that's going to do it for me today. You're going to want to tune in tomorrow when we take a look at one of the biggest topics in America right now, immigration. Before we head off for the 4th of July holiday, we want to dig into immigration and look at how, as Americans, we should be treating newcomers to this country. And, of course, we're going to want to hear from you. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We want to thank uh, associate producer associate producer Kate Swift for producing today's show. We'll talk again tomorrow.